0: cannot stop thinking about our bibliology series bro <laughs> it's all it's all we do it's all we do we're gonna have to get back into this thing quickly well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed informants this is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition systematic theology and practical application for the good of the church I'm Lance Burroughs along with TJ darty and we are the reformed Informants, man, that is sounding good. Darty party. I'm still nervous. I'm still nervous.
1: I I noticed you slowed down, but you nailed it. Okay, stuck the landing. I'm happy. I feel good. Yeah,
0: all right, let's get right into it. Uh, Let's start here uh, with this episode uh, with just a, a short recap of what we've talked about so far in bibliology. So, the first thing that we looked at first episode, we talked about revelation has God revealed himself? We concluded that he has generally to all mankind, and then in a special way, special revelation uh, through uh, scripture. Right. That's yeah, basically yeah. where we landed on that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we went broad, general revelation, more narrow into special revelation, um, and then we looked at um, the the next. Um, development in our bibliology was to look at inspiration, right And what, why did we why did we go from revelation to inspiration?
0: Yeah, well, if God has revealed himself, um, what the next step in that is has it been documented? Right. Has it been recorded? If so, where? And that ultimately brought us to inspiration. Mm-hmm. God inspiring human authors through the power of the Holy Spirit to write His words.
1: And then the kind of the natural corollary of that um, related and um, so um, intimately connected with inspiration was the doctrine of inerrancy. Um, and by that, we mean that the Bible in its original autographs as it was written um, and inspired by God. Therefore, it does not contain error Right. Right. Like right. Because it comes from. Um, God himself that is breathed out by God. It is a reflection, as you said, of the character of God, right? Like this, um, the Bible uh, speaks to who God is, and so therefore the Bible must be inerrant.
0: Right, whether it's David writing the Psalms, um, whether it's Moses in the book of Leviticus, Mm -hmm. or um, one of the New Testament authors, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, their autographic text, the one that they authorized, is the document that we would say is from God, and it is inerrant That's right. without any error. That's right. So that that brings us uh, to, what is this? This is the third part in our Bibliology series, That's I think? right, yeah. Yeah, this brings us to uh, the next two points in kind of our flow of Bibliology, and that would be Uh, authority and sufficiency. So we'll spend the first half of the episode here uh, dealing with uh, the authority of uh, Scripture.
1: Yeah, and and before we talk specifically about that, I think it's important and the reason why we kind of do that recap, um, it's important for us to see that this is systematic theology, and we spoke um, early on, we were talking about what theology is and how to do theology, but the c- theology is consistent, right. right? Like if we're building a system that has to be cohesive, it has to fit together. Well, if we deny that the Bible is inspired, well, then we can't maintain that the Bible is inerrant. If, if it doesn't really come from God, then it can't be free from error. Or at least we can't know that. And if it doesn't come from God and it doesn't, um, and it does have error then how can it be authoritative sure. right so like this is connected
0: yeah it's all connected just an, an illustration to think of at least a basketball or a sports illustration the same would be true of a shooting a free throw every component from mm. your feet up, goes into releasing that ball for a free... Or we've got a we've got a catcher yeah, over here. right. Um, former retired. Yeah, former retired catcher. Um, but the same would be true even in those situations That's or right. even batting at the plate. It, every single component is brought into that mm-hmm. swing or that shot or that particular throw down to second base. Right,
1: so you would say then that if, if one of those um, areas falls out of place, that everything else is impacted or affected by it. Absolutely. Right? It's, it's like the human body in, in those uh, motor skill movements, but also, you know, I've got pain here, but it's because I have an issue in my back, and that's causing all these other things to not function properly, right? Kind of the same concept. Well, that's how systematic theology works. And so because the we say God has revealed himself and he has inspired the text um, through human writers, uh, but by the hand of the Holy spirit that he has expressed that revelation in written form and he has preserved that reservation so that it has been recorded without error. Then we must say then that the Bible is necessarily authoritative.
0: Okay. So we're talking about authority. We're going to work into a definition of that and then talk about some examples um, that we would find in, in the text. Uh, go ahead and define uh, authority for us. Kind of lay that out for us.
1: Well, to say that the Bible is authoritative is to say um, that the Bible um, dictates what we must believe and how we must live. Right. Right. So the the Bible has the ability um, and the in and of itself, because it comes from God, um, it has the ability to. Uh, Define how we are to think and how we are to practice, how we are to live. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, Examples that I can think of, at least from Old Testament texts, would be Isaiah 55, rather, uh, when it talks about uh, God speaking authoritatively in the sense that he is Lord, uh, that he is king. Uh, that he is creator. Well, whenever I think about uh, the authoritative word of God, I- I'm really always taken back to Genesis mm. um, when God says, let there be light. Mm-hmm. W- with, with the same authority that he brought um, this world into existence, that, that's the, the type of authority that every single word of God uh, contains. Whether that's a text in Genesis one or a text in the book of Jude,
1: that's uh, absolutely. Uh, you you and I had talked about this before, and you said that when God speaks, He always speaks that way, right? Like every time He speaks, He speaks as Lord, King, Creator. Like God can't speak in any other way, right? Because that's who He is. He, yeah, He
0: he can't somehow take His authority down just a notch to ninety nine percent authoritative. Uh, and he also can't somehow increase his authorita- authoritative word to be more authoritative right. 101% right. literally his being is authoritative that's right in every manner
1: and god cannot become subject to another authority outside of himself uh, okay
0: yeah so well, what are some problems that we would run into with the character and nature of god if somehow he is submitting himself to uh, another god i, I mean it, is, is that a possibility? I would argue no, right, obviously. Right. But again, if all of these points about systematic theology are connected, what if we were to find a text where God is submitting?
1: Well, I think the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question, um, we we are... Uh, the reformed informants, and we we hold strongly to reformed theology, but I think of R.C. Sproul. He makes a statement uh, where he said, "If God is not sovereign, God is not God." Right, and so to think if God is not authoritative, God is not God. Okay, and the the whole system of God being um, authoritative over sin, over um, even in over evil, over Satan, the binding of Satan that's going to come um, in Revelation 20. Like If if God does not have the authority over his creation, if God is not the creator um, who rules over all of creation, then he can't be the judge. He can't be um, the one who enacts final. He does not have the final say um, in terms of um, the full manifestation of of end times and things of that nature. Does that make sense? Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So in in terms of um, just sitting down and reading the word of God, exposing yourself to scripture, you would come to the conclusion that God is the ultimate authority. In other words, Mm -hmm. the scripture speaks on that issue clearly, but the scripture never speaks in regards to something or someone surpassing that's God right. in that's authority. Right. I mean, that, that is a foreign concept of course. to the correct and proper interpretation of Scripture.
1: Yeah, I, I would actually, I would go so far as to say the Bible flat out just assumes, like we read the Bible in such a way that...
0: I mean okay, that's about, an assumption. It is an assumption. Okay, it,
1: How does the Bible introduce the, the... How does it begin? In the beginning, God. I mean, we've talked about that how? who knows how many times already, but that's the Bible begins with this... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The immediate picture that we have of God is an almighty, powerful, um, sovereign, holy, distinct being apart from the creation itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, we you see that. You can't conceptualize yeah. God any other way. Yeah. yeah. That's why the first 11 chapters of Genesis are absolutely critical to our understanding of God. He yes. creates. He institutes marriage. He is ultimately giving us a picture of the gospel in Genesis chapter three, with the sacrifice of the first animal. Mm -hmm. Um, We see obviously Noah and the flood and judgment and and those particular things. We get onto the tower of Babel. God is sovereign over languages. Mm -hmm. And then we see him move into uh, the text with Abraham and et cetera, et cetera. But God's authority is put on display in multiple ways Mm -hmm. in literally 10 minutes of time mm-hmm. reading, reading through, through yeah right. okay those texts.
1: so we've we've introduced this subject of authority we're in we're doing a series on bibliology but we we're just talking about god how does this relate then to the Word of God as we have it now in Scripture. Like, we would, I don't think that we're going to have any pushback from, certainly, probably not from any of our listeners, but certainly not people that you and I would um, affirm as evangelicals. Like, nobody's going to push back and say, well, no, God's not authoritative. Um, Yeah, we we would say God's authoritative, but how does that relate to Scripture?
0: Right. Right? Well, the Bible is God's expression of... Or it's rather the Bible is the expression of God's will to us. Okay. God God has revealed His will to mankind through the text, mm-hmm. and since God can only speak in one way, it already comes with authority.
1: So it's it's packed with the authority of God inside of it, right? right. Like the, this, it's it's attached to it. I I I'd like to say that it is a delegated authority, right? Like the ultimate source of the authority of the Bible is God Himself. But this is God's text. This is God's word. And so therefore, as you mentioned, it's the expression of that in written form, but it carries God's authority. It, it is attached to it, and it can't be separated. Like, like God, you can't separate the word of God from the authority of God. Right. Right? Like, because, as you mentioned earlier, when God speaks, he speaks authoritatively. Right. Like so they, That's the only way he can
0: speak. Yeah, absolutely. So if God is defining reality... If he is defining existence, if he is defining life, and God is really who he has said that he is, then he has the sole right to lay out those standards, to lay out that way of living, and we must fall underneath That's that. That's right. That's right. I, I, I love that that concept, that biblical image
1: or that picture of falling underneath the authority of God, like like we submit to that. Um, the the Bible is authoritative over the way that we think, the way that we believe, the way that we behave. So so not only does the Bible inform us as to how to b- believe and behave appropriately, but the Bible then would correct and rebuke and and um, um, put us in our place when we step out okay. from underneath of it. H-
0: Why can God do that? Well, why, why, why?
1: Well, first of all, God's God, right? So everything that He says and does is perfect in and of Himself because that's the nature of God. Is it
0: right for Him to do that?
1: Absolutely, it's right. Um, God can do no other.
0: Right? Yeah, Genesis eighteen: Shall not the Judge of all the earth do Do right right or do what is just?
1: That's right. Um, Paul says the same thing in uh, in Romans nine. Like, there's God is only just. He is only right. Everything he does is so.
0: Okay, so yeah, just for one, one example that I, I think we definitely need to have a, uh, a biblical understanding on in relation to authority is dealing with objective truth. Mm. Okay, so is God giving us subjective truth, truth that's there to be uh, interpreted in however we see that fits our mind, our way of living, or our culture or I mean, how, how is God seen in this authoritative, objective um, truth or, or objective morality that yeah. we would claim that he has the right to give?
1: Right. Um, well, a couple of things that come to mind there. First of all, we live in an age um, that is so upside down, so backwards, right? We live in this, um, this post-modernity philosophical mindset Um, Which suggests that there are no moral absolutes. There's no such thing as um, absolute truth or absolute morality or no standard um, by which those things can be measured. Um, That your truth or your moral compass is yours and yours alone. And I cannot tell you that yours is wrong. I can't um, suggest that mine is superior to yours. That's the world's philosophy right now as we find ourselves today. Um, the Bible, though, would, would say the opposite, and not that my morality or my um, understanding of truth is the, the yardstick to measure yours or vice versa, but rather that we must both take our understanding of morality and truth and judgment. And all those things must be measured through the Bible's objective truth, objective morality. Right. Like those things are found in the word of God and they are authoritative as such.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, again, to, to kind of echo w- with what you're saying there about the, the authority of God is that what he has said has been made clear. It's objective. It is authoritative, like we've been arguing, and it is the standard. And yes. we see as a pattern Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, of people truly submitting to that authoritative Word of God, and on on the flip side of that, numerous examples that we can think of, specifically with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and we know from Paul's writings that those things were documented as an example. That's right. Of of people not holding to the authoritative Word of God, in mm. other words, what God had said. Had been twisted and distorted subjectively to basically coming to the conclusion. Well, I want to do what I want to do, mm-hmm. and we see as a pattern even God responding to that a rejection of His authority always has consequences.
1: That's no, that's exactly right. So, so even on a real life application level, like I'm thinking about this, how do I, how does this play into the way that I view the world or think about things today? Well, because the Bible is a delegated authority from God and because it speaks directly to how, to how to properly believe and understand and view the world and how to properly behave, well then to do that, to deviate from the standards that have been laid out in Scripture is to disobey or to disbelieve God himself. Right. right? Like this is um, on behalf of God, the word of God speaks for God and so uh, the Bible is the authoritative representative, right, as God's word. And to reject it, to rebel, to um, step outside of, or to disbelieve that is to sin against God, and is to affront God's character by our beliefs and actions. Okay. Right?
0: So yeah. So the, the the response that you know I, I've received often, and you know I hear um, just broadly speaking, is that, well, you know, the the laws and the commands that are laid out in Scripture regarding morality, Mm -hmm. uh, those were just so long ago. Um, You know, it's an ancient book. They they were dealing with a different culture, different people. It was different times. They They, they they didn't know better. right, Right. They just weren't informed. So... I mean, would we say that the authority of Scripture was only limited to the time of the writing of Scripture? Right. Or right. or, or how, how, how do we say, yeah, it really is the authoritative Word of God is applicable to 2019? Well, I, I, again, I think this goes
1: back to, as we've been saying, the Bible is a reflection of God's character, right? It, it's... Um, this is a representative and a, it's attached directly to who God is. And what does the book of Hebrews tell us? He says that, Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, there is no change in God. He God does not uh, shift and, and react. And God is not a being or a man that he should lie or he should change his mind. Um, to To suggest that morality is... Moving or is insufficient in certain um, eras, or has uh, we have evolved past that, um, or that we have developed. And that's to suggest that God, God's um, revealed morality was not adequate at the time. Right, A- and it's to suggest that God is changing because this the authority is changing. Right, right, right. Like that's that can't be the case.
0: Well, when we're talking about. Um Authority and God and His character, and God being an eternal God, and His truth being transcendent, His truth never ending, His Word being fixed in the heavens. Uh, I mean, this is also applicable to other areas of systematic theology. Well, if the cross was 2,000 years ago, how can the cross save me now? Right, right right? That's a good point. Uh, So, when we're talking about the inerrancy of Scripture, we're talking about revelation of God, we're talking about authority, we'll get on sufficiency here in a minute. We're we're dealing with an eternal God that transcends time, that is the author of truth. Uh, These things aren't limited. Uh, They're they're not limited to the biblical writer's time. That's good. Uh, They are applicable now because God only gives eternal truths mm-hmm. with eternal application
1: yeah and I would I would say this just to kind of wrap up authority um, or at least this this conversation regarding authority I I think that it's important for us to realize especially in the world in which we find ourselves now that a failure to submit or to affirm or to recognize the authority of God does not mean that God's word is not authoritative right? Like just because you don't submit to the authority of God, that does not affect the authority itself. Like if, if my dad, whenever I was a child, my dad gives me a strict, uh, set of instructions or a strict command to do or to not to do something. And whether I obey or not, my dad is the authority (laughs) over me. Right?
0: I figured that out quick. (laughs) That's right.
1: And so just because I say, you know what, dad, you can't tell me what to do. And I go off and I do something that I'm not supposed to do. Well, well, Turns out he can tell me what to do, and he is the authority over me. So just because it's not recognized or submitted to, that doesn't abrogate the authority itself. Sure, right? The authority stands regardless of whether or not it's accepted.
0: Well, that I think that's lumped into Romans one of the, mm-hmm. the suppression mm-hmm. of truth a suppression of God we don't want an authoritative God in our natural state yeah we, we want anything but that authority
1: and, and what's interesting and, and worth noting is that ultimately, that authority will prove itself, right? Like just because I rebel against dad and I go and do something I'm not supposed to do, I might be able to enjoy that rebellion or get away with it for a season, but judgment day was coming, right? (laughs) And, uh, and Uh, and I could, I could tell you the judgment days that I've received
0: judgment day in the form of a hand or a right or
1: belt. Right.
0: Oh my goodness. But
1: think about that on the eternal scale. With an eternal God, with an eternal authority, with a uh, an absolute authority to rebel and to reject that authority for a season, for a lifetime, one day the bell's going to be answered, right? One day the authority will show itself. Right. And, and the same holds true for the Word of God. To reject the authority of the Word of God does not mean that the Word is not itself authoritative. So I think that's important, especially in a culture that constantly pushes it away, constantly rejects it, um, that we need to understand and recognize that God's word is authoritative because
0: God himself has delegated it to be authoritative. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Right. Absolutely right. Okay, should we move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's hop into the All other right. one. Well, let's roll into this next uh, little subsection here in uh, bibliology. Let's talk about sufficiency. Let's talk about the sufficiency of uh, the Bible. Okay, so when we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, what, what exactly do we mean when we talk about the Bible is sufficient? Like, so if, if you're having a conversation with mm-hmm. someone on the streets, and we always want to give that as a, I don't know, just as a, a small illustration, yeah, of a, just a
1: hypothetical that actually could be that could help guide a conversation. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So if that conversation starts, wherever it may be, and someone talks about, well, is the Bible enough? Mm -hmm. Is the Bible enough for me? Um, Is it sufficient? I guess would be the theological way of us talking about that. So Mm -hmm. when we're talking about sufficiency of Scripture, uh, how how do we want to define that?
1: Well, to say that the Bible is sufficient, um, I think there's a twofold factor. One is that it is sufficient. Comprehensive in regards to what is necessary for salvation and what is necessary for right behavior. Okay. Right. So, like, you have to have that. And then, secondly, I would say that it is clear and understandable, right? Like that's kind of, some systematic theologians are going to distinguish those two. They're going to talk about um, the clarity of Scripture. um, And I, I just think it all kind of wraps into this idea that it is sufficiently clear and is sufficiently comprehensive in regards to matters of faith and practice.
0: Okay, yeah. Let's talk about that first point that you mentioned with faith and and, and salvation. Salvation, yeah. So if if I give that person on the street that I'm talking to, if I give them a copy of the New Testament, Mm -hmm. would they be able to sit down from the New Testament alone and find everything that they need for salvation in those texts?
1: Yes, because the gospel is present. Right? Like like now we would say the ordinary means is the proclamation of the gospel. Okay. Okay, but still, a written form of the gospel, the the New Testament. We don't need the Bible plus something in order to have access to salvation, okay. right? Like God's yeah. word has adequately. Uh, now, whether or not they understand, they might need somebody to explain it to them. Okay. Right. You would you would agree oh, with that? Oh, absolutely. But the content of the New Testament is sufficient. Okay. For salvation and the con, I mean, we say the New Testament, we mean the the canon, but the New Testament is going to make clear the mysteries that have been concealed in the right. Old Testament, right? So, um, but yes, it is. The Bible is adequate. That there's we're not lacking anything. There's no you and I have no special knowledge apart from the Scriptures. Now that we are in Christ, right? Would you agree with that? Oh
0: yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Second Peter chapter uh, one says that God in his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There it is. So it's clear from the Apostle Peter that all of Scripture is sufficient enough for life, and not just life, but godliness as well. Uh, I think that is one of the um, hallmarks or the staples of text when you talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, what God has revealed is enough. That's right uh, for for His people.
1: Yeah, Paul says in First Corinthians one um, that we are not lacking in any gift as we wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We we need nothing else um, with the completion of the canon of Scripture, with the um, preservation of the inspired Word and the inerrant Word of God that is authoritative over our lives. It is sufficient in regards to matters of salvation, right? Like we have access to God through Christ and that message is proclaimed in the New Testament.
0: Yeah. Well, you talked about and used Jesus as an example in previous episodes where people are interpreting the scripture wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the, this, the, the same, the same point is valid here is that Jesus isn't saying, well, you need additional revelation. Right, you need right. these other historical documents He's just saying, no, you you have the documents; they they are sufficient. You, you just don't understand the documents okay, correctly. Okay, so,
1: so you're saying then that the sufficiency of Scripture is not dependent on my ability to understand.
0: Right, right. Like
1: if if now I do believe that Scripture is clear. Um, I I think that. But even Peter, we've we referenced this in other episodes with 2 Peter 3, he says there are things that Paul says that are hard to understand. Um, you and I have been walking in in faith um, for decades now. Between the two of us, we've, we've been in Christ for a long time, and there are plenty of things in Scripture that we struggle to understand or we wrestle with. Right? W- would you say that? Oh
0: yeah, I don't. Yeah, and of course Peter's the example of someone that doesn't shy away from. There are some difficult things in Scripture to understand, but when we're talking about the clarity of Scripture, your hallmark text, yes. your essential components to the gospel, those are so clear that, generally speaking, everybody can grasp. I would say. Yeah. What, what the Bible teaches on christianity 101 so so if
1: i'm reading through the new testament i'm not going to walk out if i'm taking seriously the text and i'm using proper interpretive methods but i'm and i'm adequately understanding i'm not going to walk away and say gosh if i just work my way i can get to heaven right right like like that's what we're saying that that salvation the means of salvation is clear over and over again, repent and believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, understand the truth of that and reject your old ways, your wicked and your sin. Like Those things are repeated ad nauseum in the New Testament. And we're not going to be so confused that we walk out from just the New Testament and say, well, I need to really make sure I polish up my idols tonight and uh, pray to all of them. Right, like it's right. It, it's very clear that right. the the means of salvation has been laid out in the New Testament. Crystal, crystal right. clear. Okay, so you say the Bible sufficient in regards to salvation. Is the Bible sufficient for everything else that I need to know? So I've I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I I place my faith in Him. I have been saved. Now, how do I live? So I start to think about my old ways versus my new ways. Is the Bible going to be clear in how I'm to conduct myself in every matter?
0: Oh, ab- yeah, the Bible is absolutely clear and sufficient, not only on salvation, but sanctification or okay. salvation and Christian living. Um, Un- just unpack that then. Yeah, yeah like just a- looking at just the New Testament, when we read New Testament letters, uh, notice that a majority of the letters in the New Testament are they're they're written to churches. So there's an assumption that people are meeting, and there's an assumption that people need to be taught. And what they are being taught is what the apostles are giving them, which we've discussed that in previous episodes, mm-hmm. that the apostles are the witnesses that are bringing forth uh, New Testament Scripture. The apostles are also writing to individuals. Those individuals are being told to teach sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime there's any type of teaching... Doctrine, exhortation that needs to be given to the people or to the congregations, it's always regarding the scripture. It's mm-hmm. always regarding the revelation of God. In other words, Paul, he, he's never telling anybody to go outside of what was written, he, never telling anybody to look into the culture. He's always either explicitly referencing or alluding back to uh, the scriptures in regards to living. Based on what God has revealed.
1: Yeah, that's and that's a really good point. And kind of to to take that one step further, there are issues or conversations in Scripture that aren't directly spoken to, but the principles right would be there. Like, uh, not to open up this can of worms, but uh, the issue of abortion. Well. There is not a direct "thou shalt not abort."
0: Absolutely, you know what
1: I'm saying, right? But but we we can build a case, and we can say, hey, look, the New Testament teaches us, and the the whole Scripture teaches us that every soul is valuable. Everybody is made in the image of God. That there is life at conception. We we build this case and say, okay, based on all of these things, we can conclude that abortion would be a killing of a soul and. We should reject that, sure. right? So it speaks, even though it doesn't speak directly, it will speak in a way that allows us to understand how to think and how to view and how to live, um, right? yes yeah, So on those we,
0: issues. yeah, we would, we would say that scripture was or scripture is sufficient on what is explicitly said. But also what can be implied from the text. Okay, I know that that's there's good. a Luther quote in there. I can't. I can't think. Does Luther not say that? I'm only going to believe what either Scripture explicitly yeah, says. Yeah, or, he does. Come um, on. Uh, I know someone listening can finish. Yeah, that, somebody. Yeah,
1: somebody email us the the rest of that quote. Yeah, um, we need that one. Yeah, but, but I,
0: I think I think it was Luther that said that. That look. We're we're only going to do what the scripture explicitly says, or what can be deduced or mm-hmm. um, learned from other texts, like you That's were right. talking about right. with abortion. There's no chapter verse, however, plenty of principles that could surround mm-hmm. you know our, our belief on that and on then, that issue. And then
1: to distinguish something like that um, from the freedom that we have, like, the Bible doesn't tell us every single thing that we are supposed to do at every... Like, like, am I supposed to put my left shoe or my right shoe on first? Well, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like like Christian living... We need
0: more revelation. <laughs> I, I want to know. I
1: need to know how am I supposed to get dressed in the morning, right? Like, I know that's kind of a silly example, but the, the, the point, I think, stands to say that there is not... Um, there is freedom, or not a. It's not sinful one way or the other on certain issues, right? Like, the, like whether or not. So you're talking about Christian
0: liberties, or yeah, is
1: and even even yeah, Christian liberties, or even just more broadly speaking, like there are things that are like adiaphora, like things that are just not. Um, it, it's not a matter of sin versus faith. Like, this is just, it's non it, it's a non-factor. Um, it doesn't matter. And then even Christian liberties, to, to go down that road a little bit, we have freedom in Christ um, to navigate through Christian living based on internal convictions and conscience, and there's freedom in it. Um, and if the Bible is not explicit or, as you mentioned before, if there's not a principle to be gathered from it, then there's freedom for the believer. And um, so there's not an issue of the Bible is not sufficient because it doesn't tell us how to answer that. Well, maybe it doesn't tell us how to answer that because that's okay. We don't need to know.
0: Well, yeah. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: the secret things is. of the Lord are the secret things of the Lord. That's not like our fallback verse, like, oh, we can't give an answer. But God has chosen to reveal certain things. Those things are authoritative and whatever has, he has revealed it's authoritative and it's also sufficient. In other words, you and I aren't lacking. That's right. We won't Lord willing be four or five decades beyond our time now thinking that, you know, goodness, Lord, it would have been nice if your word, you know, would have helped me walk the Christian life. It would have been nice for it to be sufficient. Well, the text is, Well, right.
1: hey, Lance, how how did Satan fall from heaven? If he was a perfectly created being, what does the Bible say? How did what was that step by step process? Well, it's it's not in there. Well, I can't
0: give you that answer. Yeah, I, I
1: knew you couldn't. That's why I'm going to answer it for you. It's not in there. Yeah. you know, like and and that's okay. But the Bible is not a question and answer book. That's kind of what I wanted to yeah, say there. Good. Like it's not. That's good. Every question that I bring to the text. Sometimes we bring the wrong questions, and we need to realize that our misapplication of, of coming to the text is not a deficiency on the part of Scripture, but rather it's a misunderstanding on the part of us. Right. So we need to recognize the Bible is sufficient in guiding faith, salvation, practice as Christian uh, Christian living. The Bible is adequate. It's sufficient. It has accomplished all that God intended for it to accomplish, and it lacks nothing. In regard to that,
0: again, it's a reflection of God. That that that's we keep who God is. Coming back to that, that's right. God is sufficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient. The Holy Spirit is sufficient. The Gospel is sufficient, and the Word that reveals all of that is is sufficient as well. It, we're, yeah. we're not lacking in anything.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, well, let's let's cut over to the initiative, the Informants Initiative, um, and I, you know, I I. Thought about one of the takeaways, and as I was kind of working our way through this episode, but I keep coming back to this one thing, um, and maybe it's just because I have a passion and desire to preach the word of God. But let it out; <laughs> I just can't. I can't Let's keep go. it in. When, when a, and this goes for anybody, uh, even if you're not called to preach in front of the congregation every Sunday morning. But the word of God is sufficient, so we need nothing else. Um, We need no bells and whistles we need um, on Sunday morning if I stand up to say something in front of a group of people and I say a little bit about what God has said and then I give you a bunch of okay this is what I think you need to live this is how you should vote this is who you should I'm missing the point right like God's word is sufficient. And to reject that sufficiency is to say that God has inadequately um, revealed himself, right? It's, it's to say that if I need to add something to the Bible, then I'm saying God has not done a good enough job in revealing himself. He's lacking something. And Let I me need, help him I out. Need, yeah, I need to help him, and I need to help you. And so the my takeaway from that, even from the layperson standpoint, is if you are involved in a church where the word of God is not it's not proclaimed alone right like scripture alone because the Bible is sufficient then you're missing you, you, you're you in a place where the Bible is not adequately or properly
0: viewed right would you agree with that oh that's yeah. good yeah. yeah that's good sorry
1: I just oh, it's burning in me man no, i just, let it out you, you you have uh, to release that yeah that's that's just I'm very passionate about that I think the the sufficiency of the text um is a huge a huge deal and I think it will continue to be a huge deal within American evangelicalism
0: yeah that's good yeah, well, my initiative w- would be kind of twofold here. We talked about uh, authority and uh, sufficiency. You know, the Bible is authoritative, but I-, I need to allow it to be authoritative in my own life. I, I can't just mm-hmm. affirm that with you sitting here. I-, I-, I need to let that be the umbrella that sits over my head. I, I-, I want God's authority to be in and over my life and that's found in the text. And then I I need to understand that back to the second Peter uh, chapter one reference uh, that God has given us all things uh, that pertain to life and godliness. I I have to have absolute confidence that that is true, that everything that you and I need in every single situation is found in the word of God. And I just, like, like you said, I, I can't add to that. I, I can't somehow shove the Scripture to the side and then go ahead and make my bullet point list of how I can do it better. Right. Uh, I, I can't, I can't right. do that.
1: Because the Bible is sufficient. Absolutely. And and that sufficiency is authoritative. That's so good. Right? Let's, yeah, that's a perfect wrap up. Hey, if you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at r underscore informants.
0: Yeah, please email us questions or suggestions for topics of discussion. And uh, we'd love to get back with you. Email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.